0: Hello, listeners, and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B., joined by Jacob. Hello. And today, we're going to be reviewing Between Two Cities and its expansion, Capitals. But first, as always, let's talk about what we have been playing.
1: So this week on what we've been playing, we have two games that we want to talk about. Uh, And it's very interesting because both games are trying to emulate a kind of RPG-like experience. So the two are Massive Darkness and Tiny Epic Quest. They both come at it from a very, very different point of view. Massive Darkness, as you would expect from Cool Mini or Not, is a miniatures game. How novel. And it is a pretty much dungeon crawler. You have your character, you advance your character, as you go through the dungeon and you try to accomplish a certain objective. Tiny Epic Quest, on the other hand, is pretty much a worker placement game. You are moving your meeples into different areas. And some of them will be able to get equipment and other things like that. They use the, as they call them, item meeples. <laughs> um, which are pretty much plastic meeples that have little like holes drilled in their hands that can hold like a sword or a shield and that kind of stuff. Which... Pretty cool, it's a pretty cool gimmick. Yeah. And yeah, you move them around a map and try to, you know, go through temples and and then get other equipment, get magical spells, get defeat goblins and things like that. So that is mostly what you do throughout the entire game. So they're both RPG-ish type themes, but we have to say that we really enjoyed Massive Darkness.
0: Yeah, and this was interesting because I was skeptical at first. I think frequent viewers of our stream in particular, and and possibly listeners as well, will know that I'm not really a big fan of Zombicide, which kind of colors my perception of CMON games Mm -hmm. as a whole. And so here's my thinking, oh, Massive Darkness, this is basically just a Descent clone from the people who made Zombicide, so I'm probably not going to like it. But we played it and it was a lot of fun. I personally think it's superior to Zombicide in basically every way.
1: I completely agree. I think that they learned so much from Zombicide and put that all into this game. There are some really cool aspects of it, especially the progression. I mean, during a game when you're playing with just one scenario, you're going to be able to get all the way pretty much to level five or at least level four in terms of items and things like that. And then like really progress, get your new skills and be able to use something new almost every turn, which is really cool. And they made the monsters interesting. So you have the different types and yeah, they repeat from uh, level to level and that kind of stuff. They just get a little bit more powerful, but at the same time, they also are able to use equipment. So, you know, you might have goblin archers that, Randomly, we're able to get like an amazing bow and now you're in deep trouble or like we had a cave troll that was wearing plate armor.
0: And thus is extremely difficult to kill, uh, especially when you are relatively low level.
1: Exactly. So, I mean, it is a very, very interesting game. We had a ton of fun. I think it it was funny because we played the intro scenario and I think one of our friends wanted to play it. And we are just like, yeah, sure, let's go for it. Let's let's play it. Let's try it out. And I think both of us were a bit skeptical because we got burnt out on Zombicide. We got three TPKs in a row is a little bit of something that we don't like. (laughs) So we were a bit out on it. And then I I think everyone at the table, once we finished that first game, we're just like, we're going to play another one, right?
0: Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because... The introductory scenario is, is just very short. Yeah. It's literally like two combats and you're done. Yeah. And so we sort of you know cut our teeth and, and we're ready for more. And then mm-hmm. it's over and we're like, well, wait a minute, there's more, right? So like, yeah, we, we absolutely just jumped straight into the first scenario, which I think exemplified all of the things that are great about the game. You know, it gives mm-hmm. you an opportunity to see... How the mechanics work, it challenges you, but it's still straightforward enough that you're probably not going to lose, Yeah, and it's a way to show off all of the really great things about the game. You know, the fact that treasures are finite, you know, you can't Mm -hmm. infinitely search a room for treasures, you only get X number of treasures when the room spawns, but the treasures in themselves individually are much more useful, they're just great in terms of power level and also in terms of usefulness. And then on the character side of things, each character just feels way more fully featured. And unique. And unique, yeah. It's not just, okay, this character does this one thing, which, you know, in fairness, they do. Each character is sort of tailored to a particular style. But then again, because the abilities of each hero aren't necessarily tied to who they are but tied to what class they are Mm -hmm. which comes from a separate thing you know you choose a little tear off sheet that determines your class so even though i was a ranger you know if i had wanted to i could have gone i don't know like raging berserker or whatever that class was and been like really high precision and just done that in melee range Mm -hmm. it would have been a probably terrible idea but i could have done it
1: Oh, yeah, totally. And then uh, another really cool aspect is just the terrain itself. Like, the fact that you have shadowed and you have bright squares. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get extra powers when you're in the shadowed squares. So a lot of times you want to be in those when you're engaging the enemy, but you don't might not have the choice or something like that. And it's, it's just really cool because you have that environmental aspect to it, which you didn't have before. Opening the doors is no longer a chore. You just <laughs> get to do it instead of having to, like, possibly break down the door using an axe or something like that like you just open it using a movement uh, action and also the movement is interesting because unlike zombicide you no longer have like the zone movement in terms of like you know this is a room and like you know it's three different squares technically on, on the grid each one of those is, is its own square so more similar to what we had been used to in terms of D&D or other things like that that have a grid-based system. And you also get two movement points per movement action. So you get to move places more quickly.
0: Yeah, all in all, it just feels very streamlined. It feels like they sort of kicked up the pace. You know, you get your treasures faster, you get into meaningful engagements faster and more often, you move around faster and easier. And all in all, the pace of gameplay is amped up. And you don't spend as much time just sort of grinding out against the same boring zombies so that you can get blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just more interesting. It's more fun. Mm -hmm. And in fairness, maybe that's something that I'm saying just because I'm tapped out and bored of Zombicide, but I really do think that it's something that's inherent to
1: the game. I mean, even just progression itself is is completely different in Mass of Darkness. You go to a different tile, you, you go up a level. There you go. That's progression. So that's something that was missing in Zombicide as well.
0: Yeah. And then the other game that we played that we haven't really talked about hardly at all, Tiny Epic Quest is is interesting. There are lots of worker placement elements to it. But overall, I think the sense that I was left with is that it feels basically like off-brand Zelda, the board game. Like yeah. you visit temples to collect treasures. One of the things is literally a rupee. I mean, that's not what they call it. They call it a gemstone. But it looks like a rupee. You know, you have uh, grottos and fairies and stuff, and it just feels very, very, like...
1: And you're clearing temples.
0: Yeah, clearing temples. Like, it all feels very Link's Awakening and sort of very classic Legend of Zelda, which isn't a bad thing. They're great games, but I don't think it's something that translates super well. It felt a little bit... Boring. Boring, but also it felt a little bit like hurry up and wait. Like, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, but there's not really a lot of payoff, and that comes, I think... From the fact that the game ends so quickly. It ends mm-hmm. in five turns. And yeah. in five turns, you and I, we were only playing two-player, were barely able to do anything.
1: We were, we were barely able to get past the negative points which you get for not doing certain things.
0: Right, exactly. Which just kind of feels bad.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I think that this is one of those things that I was actually very interested in when we started playing to see how it would work. Because we both like games that you have multiple paths to victory. Here sort of is the case, but you still have to at least do some of each one. otherwise you know you can get like negative four points for not doing something. And when the scores are pretty low, like negative four could be a fifth a, a you know a sixth of your entire score. So I think that in general, it seems to force you to do something that I think the game would be better off without. and the term limit is completely, I think not fun. Because just like as much as I wanted the game to end, I really thought that it snuck up on me and I, I could have done more. Like th- there was more that could have been done in the game, but wasn't.
0: Yeah. And I'd love to take a look at sort of why this relatively low turn limit feels more onerous in this game than it does in a game like Tiny Epic Western,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: is also fairly short by design, but something about it just feels different. And so I'll have to. To think about that, and maybe that's something we can talk about later. But for now, yeah, a little disappointed in Tiny Epic Quest.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, well, there you have it. That's a look at what we've been playing. Hey, buddy, why are you putting that park there? That's distinctly supposed to go into St. Louis, not Sydney.
0: Hey, man, all I know is they said put it in the city on the Left? Left?
1: Ah, shit. We are Between Two Cities.
0: Haha, name drop. So yeah, Between Two Cities is a game in which you, the player, are building two cities. One city on your left, one city on your right, and you're building those cities with the players on your left and on your right. It's one of those interesting games that is collaborative but also competitive.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you actually have to work with someone else and build the city. So when you build those two cities, you're building them out of tiles. The tiles themselves, there are six different types. You have your shops, your taverns, your houses, factories, parks, and your offices. And so each of these has a specific way of scoring. They can be spatial where they are in regards to other tiles and all that. They can be numerical. How many of them you have in your city, as well as a set collecting. Do you have all types of, of these tiles? And so when you're placing them you go ahead and you draft the tiles so you have a hand of tiles in the base game it's seven seven tiles in your hand you choose two of them one for each city you don't have to choose which city they go into yet and then you put all the rest down everyone waits until everyone has chosen their tiles three two one reveal and then put them into your cities this goes around you start with seven tiles one way you pass them in one direction and then you go to the large tiles the large tiles are like the middle round there are three different rounds when you're building the cities and the first one is single tiles Uh, you pass to the left then each person gets to put one large tile which is a two tile into their city this is a challenge normally first off each of the double tiles has two different types of buildings so you have to fit both of those together and then sometimes you might have run into problems and other things like that when you're actually trying to place them down, but you also have to worry about the orientation, meaning that the the tiles actually have to be either vertically or horizontally, and you can't just, you know, make a horizontal tile go vertically just because it'll fit better. You actually have to totally keep the orientation that you started with.
0: Exactly. And then the final round is just a repeat of the first round, except you draft the other direction. And that's really all there is to it. If this is sounding really easy. It's actually probably because we haven't mentioned one thing with regard to spacing, and that is at the end of the game, your city has to form a 4x4 grid. So, you know, you can't just have a single line of 16 tiles laid end to end. You know, you have to be in this very specific order, which can, especially with phase two and the, the double tiles, introduce a lot of issues, because you have to make sure that you leave space to go at least in some possible directions, because otherwise you're going to lock yourself into putting these two tall tiles or long tiles in an orientation that you really don't want and that isn't really beneficial. So there's lots of really interesting elements like that. There's tiles that want to be next to each other. There's tiles that don't want to be next to each other. And you can, especially towards the end of the game as well, almost get locked into a bad situation. You know, you've got to A factory and the only place it can go is next to houses which is going to decrease the value of all of those houses so
1: because who wants to live next to a factory
0: exactly but so you've got these really interesting considerations in terms of the the space but also how you draft because of the way that drafting and cooperating works in this you're always going to be passing tiles to exactly one person who is building a city with you yeah. Which means if you trust your partner and if the, the sort of rationale that you've discussed while you're placing, because you can only discuss while you're placing, not while you're drafting, mm-hmm. but if you can trust them to follow that rationale, then you can say, all right, even though this second thing is better, I think it's important for me to take this thing now, and they will know enough that they have to take this last thing and put it in the, in the city. So it's a, a really surprisingly communicative game. Yeah. Even though that's not really mechanically something that's at the heart of it.
1: Exactly. It's, is done very interestingly and because of the limited communication that you're supposed to have, you have to trust that your partner is seeing what you're seeing, but with the four by four grid, it's actually pretty easy to see like, oh, I do not want a factory next to this. And if I take it, then it's going to be risking it or something like that. Or I need definitely need one more of these to complete a set and in general, they do a really great job in facilitating that type of visual and nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. And it's really important because you're trying to balance your cities, since the score that you're getting after you calculate all the scores and everything like that is the lower of the two cities that you've built. So, you know, if you let one of your cities become. Massively, you know amazing and has all the good tiles and everything like that and you ne- neglect the other city Well, you're getting the points for that city uh, the, the bad city at least so Makes it very interesting and very good to work with your partner
0: Right, and it's also fun because the way that that works means that you will always have at least two losers
1: Yep, but you can have up to all winners
0: I suppose that's true. Yeah, if every city scores exactly the same, then you won't have any losers because you'll have everyone tied for first place.
1: Exactly. So so it's really interesting. But Between Two Cities recently came out with an expansion, Capitals.
0: Yeah, and this is a game that you've probably heard us mention a couple times. We've been antsy to play because, you know, we love the base game and because we've heard good things about Capitals, but we only finally managed to do that recently. And I got to say, there's a lot going on. Oh, for sure. Capitals adds three new features. The first and sort of the simplest is the landscape mat. So each of these is a three by three, you know, thin cardboard sheet that has a terrain printed on it. So something like a map or a field around a lake, something like that. And five of those nine tiles are impassable. They're terrain that can't be built on. The other four can be built on just like normal. And some of them are connected via you know tunnel through a mountain, or a bridge over a river, something like that. But, at the end of the game, your city has to be built around these sort of natural terrain features. So, it has to be fully incorporated into your city, and then also, just because of space constraints, your city is going to be larger, so rather than a 4x4 grid, it becomes a 5x5 grid with these five uh, impassable tiles, thrown into the mix, as well as extra tiles drafted in phases one and three.
1: Yeah. The second mechanic that is added by the Capitals expansion is the civic buildings. So, this is a completely new building type that was not in the base game. And each of them are unique. So, it's pretty cool because, like, you know, they have names and everything. Like, this is middle school, this is a museum, this is, you know, all, all these different kinds of things that you would see in a, in a city. But it also adds a little bit of complexity. It throws a little bit of a wrench in in the works, which is fun. The way that it does that is that each of these civic tiles wants to be next to two tiles, and for every one of those that it is next to, then it would get three points. If it wanted to be next to a house as well, and it was next to a house, it would also get three points. Now, if they were next to But two houses, it would still only get three. It's not like you can choose either or. It has to be next to both. But it also has one type that it does not want to be next to. So if you put it next to something that it doesn't want to be, you would get one point. So it pretty much almost negates the whole building, which could be worth up to six, which is the highest amount per single tile that you can get in the game.
0: Yeah, civic buildings are interesting because they're high risk, high reward. They're certainly, unquestionably, the most complicated tile to score because each one is unique and because each one is scored using such specific parameters. But, as Jacob mentioned, on a a tile-per-tile basis, they score the most points per tile. So if you can get those civic buildings into your city and you can activate them, you can really optimize the point value of any given city.
1: Exactly. And now the last... Mechanic that was added by Capitals is the most complicated. <laughs> Definitely, at least especially in terms of gameplay, it might sound pretty simple in terms of what we're saying right now. Because it's a district, if you randomly assign two building types for that district. So it could be you know factories and taverns, houses and parks, or something like that. They randomly get assigned. Whichever city has the largest contiguous area of those two types together gets the most points. So you either get first place or second place in that. If you get the most points, you can get nine eight or seven points and the other one is I believe three four five and so you know sounds pretty simple But in practice It that's where it gets very interesting
0: Yeah, and the thing about districts is that it's really a fundamental change to the way that you consider What is in your city as it's being built so with almost every other tile with the exception of factories which score more points based on which city has the most. No other tile is based on anything else happening in any other city. Yeah. So you're just trying to optimize internally the points scored by each city and really at the micro level, each tile. Yeah. Whereas with districts, it's all about having one, having two more tiles in the largest district than the next closest person so that you can maximize your points. And... Sometimes, you know, in the case of offices and taverns, which are two tiles that want to be next to each other to begin with, this can be very natural. But other times it can be types of tiles that don't have an inherent relationship and that you wouldn't normally think of. So you really have to zoom out and it changes the focus of the game and really changes how each city does in terms of endgame scoring. The first time we played with the expansion, the city that scored the lowest for just points based on tiles, scored buku points for districts and actually ended up scoring the highest out of any city once everything was totaled together.
1: Any city we've ever played before.
0: Yeah, also because, you know, all of these points are happening on top of the already enhanced point totals from larger cities, cities with civic buildings. So the districts and the expansion more broadly really do change the feel of the game in a way that, is more complicated, but also very welcome. I think it makes the game better. It makes the game more strategic and more complex and really more interesting.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think that the game itself uh, is definitely improved by by the expansion. But in general, I, th- I think that the expansion and the base game are all, almost have slightly different audiences. Yeah. A, in terms of the base game is a very simple game. It's a game that you can teach in about five minutes and can play up to seven players. And to me, that's that's amazing. It's a simple game. That's it's strategy based. It's not a social deduction game that can play up to seven players, and it has that like semi cooperative feeling. So you're not working against each other, which is also really nice, especially in a group setting. And so it's it's a nice game that I like to bring out for you know larger groups, more casual players, and more casual get togethers. Whereas the Capitals expansion, I think, brings the game into much more of a gamers game because mm-hmm. you have a lot more to think about you're like sitting there and you're like okay do i want to focus on you know getting these uh, the number of points that i that i can get based on the actual tiles that i place in terms of their bonuses or am i going to work more on the districts and other things like that and focus on the new elements and try to get those which might not give me the optimal number of points based on the base tiles but might give me more points in the long run.
0: Yeah, it it really does feel almost like two different games in a way. And actually, moving into our sort of traditional segment, No Game is Perfect, that is one thing that I did want to mention. There's a learning curve with capitals. It adds so much all at once to Mm -hmm. what was really originally a very simple base game that even for experienced players like you and me, adding capitals can be very, very overwhelming. Yep. And obviously, this is something that's going to fade as you gain more and more experience with Capitals, but especially if you are introducing the game to new players, completely new players who've never played even the base game before, as we've done a couple of times mm-hmm. now, it can be very overwhelming to yep. add landscape mats and civic buildings and districts and all of these other sorts of things. And I hope not, but I, I can see the potential that it would turn some people off, at mm-hmm. least of the expansion.
1: Yeah. And I think that in general, the base game does a pretty good job of being easy to learn, but also I have had many people talk to me about that, even being like, I needed the first scoring game in order to actually figure out how these work together. And that's one thing you have to go through scoring together. It's actually something I do like in the game because, you know, you're sitting there, it's like, okay, let's see, let's figure out, let's see, this city has this, 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 and this, and you show how the scoring works, it's a good teaching thing, but at the same time, it always happens at the end of the first game. The other nitpick that I have with this is one that one of our really good friends has brought up every time we've played this, especially since the expansion came out. So, the cities that you have in Between Two Cities... You have, for example, two different tokens that are from Washington DC. You have, I think two from, Beijing, uh, you know, a few others, but you don't have any representation of central or South America. <laughs> so you have Sydney, you have like, you know, you have the, uh, India, you have Russia, you have a lot in Europe, you have, uh, East Asia. Yeah. You even have, you even have Africa. You have the pyramids. Yeah. But there is no representation like there's no Rio has some very iconic buildings like you can go there from there. You can go from mexico city. you can you could try all these. and not all the buildings that they have as the uh, the monuments are extremely iconic in general. Yeah. And it's just a little bit disappointing that uh, they didn't look anywhere in Central or South America. Yep, it's actually exclusionary to some people, which is uh, shame on you guys. Shame on you, Ben.
0: Yeah, we're calling you out, Ben. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Next expansion better be all Latin American buildings. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. There you go. But yeah, it's really gameplay-wise, almost a flawless game. Yeah, there's really not a lot that you can say that's gonna knock it. So, for that reason, it's definitely a buy it from me. You know, the base game certainly the base game is highly flexible it plays two to seven players there's also an automa mode Mm -hmm. which i don't think either of us have ever played but you can it is technically one to seven players which for a game with a a decently robust sort of strategic spatial element as opposed to just you know your standard social deduction game is amazing for a, a player spread and the capitals expansion it builds on that it makes it really great it makes it more complex it makes it more strategic it makes it more interesting and i highly recommend both of them
1: i completely agree in a heartbeat i'll give this a buy it but i'm gonna pull out the stops this to me is a game that has to be on everyone's gaming shelf i think that this is a top shelf game for me so i think that this is one of the best games in my collection it's one that i bring out when i have three people or seven people coming over new gamers old gamers just like something that we want to play that's quick that's light and now with capitals that's not even that light like that you can actually really sink your teeth into i think they do an amazing job of really making the game balanced and the the fact that you're working with the people to your right and your left makes this game so much better. It, it just makes the game a lot of fun. And I think that everyone should have this game in their collection.
0: Well, there you have it, straight from the guru himself. Before we go, uh, we are going to mention a few games that we feel are very, very similar to Between Two Cities. The first is Seven Wonders. Obviously, there's a lot of similarities here. You've got the sort of relational elements between players. In Seven Wonders, it's less constant, but you do have relationships with the player on your left and the player on your right that will affect your final scoring. You're sort of iteratively building this city. In Seven Wonders, it's an ancient city. In Between Two Cities, it's a contemporary city. But you're building this city as you draft cards and trying to build the most successful city you can based on individual discrete choices so these are two games that play very similarly seven wonders has a little bit more of a traditional feel i personally think so if you're coming from a a catan background a dominion background something like that maybe start with seven wonders and if you enjoy that check out between two cities
1: the other game that i'd like to compare this to is actually paris connection so this one's a slightly different game, especially the theme is very different and gameplay is quite different. But you are still working with other players to a degree, in similarly to Between Two Cities. Because in Paris Connection, you're all trying to build the lines and you're all working on them. But, you know, you could have a certain number of stocks that are in red or blue or whatever and so could someone else and you would both want to make that rail a rail line have the most points so in paris connection you're working with other people to pretty much build rail lines that will benefit multiple people based on you know their stock ownership which is a secret so you're still like working together in a way and still competing at the same time so similar to between two cities you're still trying to get the highest uh, score but because you're building a communal resource. It has that bit of cooperation that's actually really cool and similar to Between Two Cities. And I think just because of that aspect, uh, if you really like that aspect of Between Two Cities, I would highly recommend Paris Connection. And I mean, they also have their spatial like areas and that kind of thing. You're trying to get to a certain spot. So they do have a similarity there as well. So. I would definitely recommend checking out uh, Paris Connection if you like Between Two Cities and vice versa.
0: And there you go. That has been our review of Between Two Cities and its Capitals expansion.
1: Thank you for joining us for this review. Be sure to tune in next week when we talk about our experiences, or at least one of our friends' experiences, at PAX Unplugged. So we're going to talk about uh, just... Some of the things that, that uh, we were able to see there, and hopefully we'll have seen some of you there, and you guys are tuning in for that podcast, otherwise, be sure to tune in to our live streams, which will be happening on uh, Wednesdays. We will not be having one this week because of uh, travel, Thanksgiving, and other such you know things, but be sure to tune in for the next uh, podcast and the week after for our live streams.
0: Happy Turkey day. Okay. <laughs>